You're listening to Schooled with Carla Hulse. Join Carla as she explores K-12 education disruption and has deep dive conversations with ed leaders, ed tech, ed foundations, ed professional service organizations, and ed educators who school her on ed innovations and their impact on educational policy across the country. Here's Carla. Welcome to Schooled, and yes, I am Carla, and joining me today is Kim Nicholas. So Kim was the co-founder and chief education officer of Perspectives Charter Schools based in Chicago, and it was a charter school that served students from grades 6 through 12. And what's unique about Perspectives was its education model was called a disciplined life, and it is still called a disciplined life. And this model really gained national attention, so it received the New Schools Venture Fund, funding from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the Walton Family Foundation, and some dissemination grants from the U.S. Department of Ed, among other corporations. Currently, Kim serves as the executive director of Genesis Works Chicago. Genesis Works is a national social enterprise that's committed to providing pathways to career success for high school students in underserved communities. So the Chicago office specifically is helping youth see that a professional career is within reach and that setting students on that path to pursue professional careers and connecting Chicago companies with a diverse talent pipeline. Today's topic is about choice, but specifically how charter schools can serve as a disruptor to the current K-12 system. And joining me to have that conversation, obviously, is Kim Nicholas, who has a long career um, with starting up a charter, running a charter, and expanding that charter over multiple campuses. So welcome to Schooled, Kim. All right, so- Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I, as I said in my introduction, I want to talk about charters as a educational disruptor, but I think people often, when they hear about charters or they hear about choice in particular, they think about it from the parent's perspective, right? So as a, as a parent, I'm making a choice to put my child in a charter school or to homeschool or unschool or go to an independent school. But I want us today to really dive into this idea that, in particular for you, you viewed charters as a disruptor to something, right? So for folks who aren't very familiar with um, Kim, in 1997-ish, right, you um, and your partner really launched one of the first charter schools in Illinois, right? So my question really to you is, what were you, what did you guys think was missing from the school you were at? And what, and then what was missing from public schools overall? And what were you trying to create? What was the something new or different? Because you didn't start out as a charter school, right? Right. Uh, so what we were trying to disrupt is the notion that school happens in a classroom and that school happens out of a book or in some sort of set of standards that then are tested later and, and then you succeed or don't and that's education. And it leaves everybody very empty. Um, that experience is an empty one for a teacher as well as for students and their parents. So we structurally knew we needed to just basically rip it up and try again in a format that would serve 
our students first and then us as educators as well. So we came up with the model of perspectives for all those things that we were not experiencing that we knew would really enhance education in a way that was authentic versus that was systemic or that was um, sort of, I didn't even know what the the best word to describe it is, but a policy Mm -hmm. of educating kids in this format that wasn't effective. Yeah. So let's try another format and see if we can make some progress. Yeah. So in my first episode um, where I'm speaking with Mewtwo about this idea that fundamentally there's a design flaw, I think that's kind of what you're alluding to. But I, I want to get into what your theory of that design flaw is, but I'm going to kind of <laughs> unpack mine a little bit more. So for me, it everything is flawed, right? So it's starting from um, teacher preparation, leadership preparation, the disconnect between um, pre-service work and in-service, those two aren't tied. And then I think what you were kind of alluding to, then once you're in a school setting, it's it's really kind of a combination of these disjointed initiatives that happen upon teachers and leaders, right? Whether it's um, a new set of standards every five or 10 years, that's the trick, or it's bell schedules, that's the trick, or it's small versus big school. So it's kind of all these disjointed things that make up schooling um, that don't get at the heart of, it's really around um, growing teachers and leaders differently. It's around control versus accountability, right? Um, It's around how schools are funded in a way that to me, it seems it's driven by, policies, but more um, shifts. So administration. So whoever's in charge, whoever has the loudest voice, and that voice can come from a foundation, right? I mean, foundations have driven change, and I'm using air quotes change, right? So if that is the model, if that's the construct, it's just this kind of, and I'll use this analogy, and it could be totally wrong, and it may not make sense to the um, our listeners, but I have this vision of kind of schooling, K-12 schooling as a, as a car, right? And right now the car is barely kind of plugging along. And what we are doing is saying, well, maybe if we paint it green, that'll make it go. That'll make it go faster and everyone will get to their destination. Okay, so we've painted green. Well, maybe it's not green. Maybe we need to change the seats. Maybe if we had new seats, that would make it go faster. When rather we need to literally look under the hood, why isn't the car running? right? We need a new engine. We need a new alternator. So it's this kind of superficial look at what's wrong and applying the wrong solutions. Does that make sense? Does that kind of get to what you were thinking about? Like charters, and I'll get into charters specifically, but just fundamentally, does that even resonate with you? That may not resonate with you. Absolutely. (laughs) Yes. So yes. And why we ever created initially a school within a school was to basically either get a new car or get a new engine either way. Um, And we didn't really care in which policy form it fit, but let's just try a new attempt at this engine itself. Mm. And so we designed a new engine um, and lo and behold, in those initial years, when we first founded Perspectives, the car was going a lot faster. Oh, um, The challenge became when policy, for whatever policy reasons change, yeah. 
the the winds of change started to be very controlling. Yeah. And worried about more accountability, trying to figure out how quickly these test scores are going to come along. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden we're getting pulled back in yeah. using bad fuel, yes. bad yeah. fuel. Yeah. Now yeah. We're, we're putting fuel into this car and it's breaking the car down, yeah. honest to goodness. And so when I look back at all of the mechanical breakdowns mm-hmm. of our car, they're tied to policies that we then had to be held accountable for. Um, And yet that policy itself was a broken policy. So we kind of get ourselves in a snowball effect here. Or a circle. Well, we're trying to meet this policy and that's no longer our car engine. And now we're actually trying to use an engine that doesn't fit the car. And it it, it becomes a real battleground. And you can see that you can see it yeah. in, in a lot of charters, I imagine, are people that try to break from that initial, you know, car in this theory or in this uh, setup yeah. uh, analogy. But yeah. Okay. So there's just such a draw to go back into a broken car. Yeah. So again, for listeners who aren't familiar with perspectives, it's your start. So you guys started out, um, you and your partner were traditional middle school teachers, right? And within your school setting, you tried to carve out this new car, right? So you're thinking maybe if we just insulate ourselves <laughs> and do a school within a school model, that will work. And so you realize you were getting bumped up against this behemoth. Um, but so then why decide to go charter? And before you you answer, I want to make a point. And, and, and my point could be wrong. And so you can tell me I'm completely wrong, but I, I don't know if charters can completely create a new car because they still are a part of the system, right? And so how do you innovate when, and I don't, and I, I don't live a lot in the charter world. So maybe I just, I'm being, I'm completely ignorant to this because while you're trying to innovate doing, to do something new, you have to call out what's wrong with the system that you are parallel to. And I don't hear enough of the, the policies are wrong. I don't hear enough of that from the charter. So that's just my own understanding, but I could be wrong. So again, why did you think charters could break away completely and be very innovative? What, what did you think charters could do for you that you couldn't do as a school within a school? Um, yeah, I think they were uh, founded, at least in Illinois, with the idea that they would be incubators of innovation. And in particular, a huge uh, district of schools, 600 plus schools, 450,000 students, you know, vast majority of our students are people of color uh, and high poverty. So whatever was coming before was not was not making things progress as quickly as any of us wanted. So they, this was an idea that if we allowed some autonomy, some freedom and some flexibility, maybe we're going to build ourselves a new engine. So we're going to look at some new engine options and see if maybe that's going to propel the car to move a little quicker. So we're like, great, let's do that. (laughs) We want to do that. That sounds perfect. And it's an open enrollment school. So we are not creaming the crop and then trying to, you know, sell our statistics. It is, these are the same kids in the same school, just structured in a, in a format that is autonomous from the large district guidelines, policies, rules around any of the things, around any of it. Yeah. It was it was initially around any of it, including standardized tests, all of it. Yeah. 
Um, and so it was like, wow, we finally can do things without the amount of red tape it took to do that simple thing, right? you know, in under the other structure. Um, and so, so we took it. Yeah. So let's talk about like a real option. So let's talk about those car pieces. I know this analogy. So um, again, in my design flaw theory, one of the key pieces of the car running well are high quality teachers and leaders. So what did you do to address that? Or did you? I mean, or did you? Because it's like you're not then going into a college of education and selecting the best or having conversations with colleges of education to say, this is what I need, because that's what really needs to happen. It's, it's not just I'm going to go pick people because you're still picking whatever they're producing. It's I need you to change what you're doing to prepare to just so was that even a part of it? Because if you're going to go bold and go new, you got to get got to get in front of it. You got to get ahead of the issue. <laughs> well, maybe in hindsight, we definitely were naive, okay. not smart enough to recognize the flawed development of teachers in, in the urban setting in particular mm-hmm. for the structure of learning that we had created. So by design though, we respect teachers and no, we were both teachers for a long time and we knew how challenging the work was. This was like not easy work. So we just developed a structure called, you know, instructional leadership in which we had a coach assigned to teachers based on a content area and they would observe, support, help plan, help devise plans, help create field studies and all the initiatives we were trying in our new option of an engine. And but we put in the support for the teacher to develop under under that new umbrella. And and it worked. It worked. The challenge for us is I think we couldn't find enough teachers and we did not have enough resources to to be able to attract teachers. So this is when the policies come in, where the funding has a massive impact is because when you can only put out so much um, compensation, at some point, your teachers have to choose someplace else to go. And in the city of Chicago, there's at least a 30% gap over what charter schools can pay their teachers over even what the district pays. Mm. And then the district of Chicago public schools is underfunded by the suburbans oh, by yeah. maybe maybe a third, maybe a half yeah. in some situations. So we're talking about teachers having a lot of other options yeah. uh, that pay much more. So now we're trying to promote perspectives as a lifestyle, which it really was. I mean, you're around colleagues that you are like-minded, you want to grow in your profession. You want to be a more effective teacher. You love this model of integrating content with experiences. And this is the way you want to live your life. Yeah. And so you come into perspectives and you get coached and, you, and you're thinking this is the best of the best. And then guess what happens? You get picked off and you get taken to, into the larger district and you make much more money there. Yeah. But you're sacrificing. Now you're going to make this sacrifice. You're going to shift over to a system that maybe doesn't have attention mm-hmm. to teacher quality. And so you're, you're stuck. You're, as a teacher, having to choose. Yeah. And that's an unfair choice. It's a, it's a, it's a terrible choice. Yeah. So you, you mentioned something about a lifestyle of teaching. And you bring, you bring up the idea of like-mindedness. So that term 
was used a lot. It was bantered around a lot when I worked at the small schools workshop. Like that was a key uh, belief that if you're going to create small, small schools, you had to have like-minded teachers. And we can get into this a little bit, but it's, it, right. it's right. I mean, that sounds kind of right. Exclusive. It's not well, it's that. not even exclusive. It's just, it's, it's this, I think this gets to the idea of if you're going to do the things that are required for kids, right? You have to have a cadre of folks who are all who are all bought into that idea. And the yes. moment you start to have the naysayers or the whatevers, right? Just people who don't believe it. it doesn't have to be naysayers. It doesn't have to be negative. It's just like, hey, I'm not down for a disciplined life, which was your educational model, right? Right. But I want to teach, so I'm going to work here, but I'm really not going to do what you're going to ask me to do. I'm going to do my own thing. Then you start right. getting into this interior fight that, you know, Right. That we haven't even thought of when we're building the car. And so do you think that was another reason for going charter that you were able to kind of self-select folks? And if they're not a part of a union, it's a little easier to say, hey, this isn't a place for you. And again, not in a negative way, right? If I'm not a good fit for IBM, they let me go. And it's like, okay, peace, right? I need to go work for AT&T or whatever. But so was that another piece of the pie or piece of the car that you were trying to fix or solve that like-minded helps the car go faster? Absolutely. I mean, you, you have to have people um, as, I don't know if you guys know Lorraine Monroe, but I'm saying her name because I think she was an icon. And, you know, you have to have people that are maniacs in education <laughs> to, to be willing to do what kids need, right? And yeah. it, it's not an easy job. Geez, raising your own child is one thing. Raise a classroom of yeah. children and Dude, that's yes. like, what? Yeah. So you gotta be a maniac. So you, you wanna hire people who are deeply committed to personal growth as well as student growth. And right. yeah, you, you, you can't hire people that are, yeah, sort of naysayers and, and, and very uh, inflexible yeah. when, when considering what learning is or how it gets measured. Yeah. Um, so it was a real luxury, honestly, to be able to hire teachers that understood that and bought into those values and um, were as committed to doing this work yeah. as, as the founders, honestly. And yeah. for, for decades, we had that structure. Um, and it was, it was pretty amazing at those years. Yeah, I'm trying to think if, if it's possible to create a profession of, you know, in essence, a coalition of the willing to do this difficult work called teaching and leading. But I, I wonder if it can happen again, I keep harping on this, on the pre-service side. I wonder if that is somehow integrated into the creation of these professionals. So then it doesn't rely on in-service to kind of professionally develop people to death. Try to convince, cajole, right. armoring, like what, you know, all of that unnecessary when it's like, hey, it's not a good fit. But if we can do all that on the front end, then again, our car goes faster. We don't have to Absolutely. do all that, but that, again, those are things that just run through my head all the time. I don't know. Yeah. And there wasn't anything in particular about perspectives that was so revolutionary. <laughs> Any person that you would ask, is this a good idea? You, you know, here's our model is a good idea. No argument whatsoever. But the execution on that model consistently it is, is supported by that pre-service work. Yeah. And um, if, if what is taught to wannabe teachers brings into light uh, these fundamental concepts of 
learning. How does learning happen? Mm -hmm. When does it happen? Does it happen the same for every child? No, it does not. So let's just figure that out and let's come to terms with true learning. And then am I the right person for this profession? Right. Ask yourself that because right. that's, it is not easy. It's a really hard job, but there is nothing more rewarding either. Totally. So, you, but you have to be committed to learning under multiple structures, not just under some standardized structure of, I'm sorry, but you know, worksheets and tests. Like, right. yeah, I mean, that that's information that's ingested and spit back out, but is that learning? Yeah. Is that learning? Yeah. yeah. Anyway. So you talk about tests <laughs> and I want to kind of get into um, what role accountability can play or should play, if at all, in a new model of doing school. Like, do did you guys have some semblance of control and what that looked like? And how did you hold your teachers accountable? And then how did you tie that to outcomes if you did it all? And is that necessary? It's not even necessary. Because again, I've, I had a child in public school, I mean, in private school after we did, we tried public, and that child never took a test. The only test he took was his junior year in high school, and it was external. It was an ACT for college. It wasn't something his, his school did, but our, the parents weren't demanding testing. The school wasn't demanding. And somehow we just you know, hoped and prayed. And we really weren't because we knew our kids were learning. So it's like, what, what does accountability look like? And what did it look like for you guys? And what did you guys envision as control, which is typically what happens, right? I need to make sure my teachers are doling out the standards and the way I need them to dole it out. Um, what should or could that look like if we're building a new car? And are charters able to have a different model of accountability per se? Right. The way accountability was applied to the charters in Illinois, or at least in, in the city of Chicago, became inflexible. And um, by, the, by the larger district being the, um, the authorizer of the charters, there was a real push and pull there. Mm. And I think it has, and again, we just go into the policy piece and how the policy impacts innovation. Yeah. So now you've got the state of Illinois funding Chicago public schools based on standardized tests. And then you've got, you know, Chicago public schools thinking, hey, we, we need these incubators to really kind of help codify some of the progressive instructional models that could help our mm -hmm. propel our car faster. But now we have to tell them, no, 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 you got to make sure that everything that you do, no matter how innovative and creative it is, that's cool. But you got to you got to pass the standardized test. You got you got to show metrics and you got to show it related to these standards on this standardized test. So now the pull becomes, oh, geez, you know, how much innovation can we provide in our instructional model that then can be quantifiable yeah. by this standardized test? And then it becomes, you know, you start worrying and mm -hmm. chipping away at what does that lesson plan look mm -hmm. like? And then what do those assessments look like? And what does that instructional practice looks like? But now we're doing all of that yeah. to achieve a standardized test score. Right. And it, it becomes a real whittling away at your innovation because you're like, oh, okay. The other, the other challenge that I think we had is you know, growing teachers, you don't, you don't grow teachers overnight, right? So they, they come in and they, they might struggle with classroom management and they might struggle with planning and they might struggle with. Yeah. 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 But Kim, in my perfect right. world, right. We're doing all that work on the front end. They've been, 
they've been tooling away at that skill set in pre-service, right? So if we're, again, if we're waiting until they land on the job, land at the door of perspectives, now it's on yeah, you to PD the heck out of them. So I'm going to go back to the, right. so when you guys were first, again, I, I've known you and your partner for a very long time. I remember sitting in restaurants and you guys were like scribbling on paper, like perspectives ideas. Um, yeah, when you pre-computers. Yeah, pre-computers. <laughs> when you were first thinking about it, you didn't have accountability in your minds because you again you were Chicago public school teacher so you weren't thinking of ways to integrate some kinds of quantifiable ways of demonstrating mastery like that was just, oh absolutely oh okay well we had that okay okay it was yeah it was it was by content by learning standards mm -hmm. but by methodology it could be open right like in what form are we showing mastery of a set of standards. Yes. Um, not that the way to show mastery is by this standardized test. Yes. Okay. So it doesn't everything, it, everything doesn't have to be tested in order for it to be uh, effective. Right. But I understand the pull. I really understand the pull because I've also been a consultant and I've observed classrooms where the instructional practice was so poor. Like as in, here's an example. Here's a book that's a old textbook, let's say, and here's your sheet of paper, and this is a fourth grader, and I just want you to copy word for word what this entire page in this textbook says. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, I'm not even joking that this is a writing class, okay? I'm like, is this a reading or writing class? This oh. is a writing class. But it wasn't really about, you know, how we're writing our letters because the student wasn't ingesting any of the information from the from what they were writing. They were literally just writing out of time. So, you know, you need support for instruction to go well. And if the assessment can tell you how to coach a teacher, that's great. Mm -hmm. That's that's to me the best form of accountability. It's like, here's the standards, here's these assessments. Let's look at your Let's look at the growth that your students have achieved over the amount of time you've been teaching them. If they're achieving great growth, let's look at those instructional practices and see if we can share those with our with our colleagues. If you're not, if you're kind of behind, let's put some support around you to figure out what was it that made the other class grow a little faster than your class. Um, and let's see if you can learn and go observe and maybe in, you know, Take in some of these instructional practices and try this in your own classroom. But again, you have to have a teacher wanting that kind of yeah, growth, yeah. right? You have to have a teacher that's open to being coached, to having learning being measured, mm -hmm. and and also being discussed. But again, it's not black and white. Right. right? It's like we have to allow for teachers to grow. So we can't layer the fifth year instructional strategy onto the first year teacher and expect for them to feel successful. Right. Um, so it's it's a very nuanced challenge that we all face, but I'm not saying we shouldn't be accountable. Yeah. I am saying that to what policy is it that accountability is only proven through a standardized test? Yeah. Um, is just a rough, yeah, uh, yeah. It's it, it, and it just it makes the system, in particular in Chicago, all test driven. Yeah, it's all test driven. Yeah, and so you go into instructional practice now, and it's you know skill and drill. Yeah, it's just, um, and then we lose the authenticity and and really the authentic learning. Yeah. So now that that yeah. that that is a tough nut to crack because I don't. I don't see that going away. It's not just Chicago. It's it's not state. And it shouldn't go away. State, 
it's the feds, right? Um, and so how do you move away from policy driving everything, including resource? I mean, it literally drives everything. And those policy shifts happen every year. <laughs> so it's not oh, even like, yeah. I mean, it, it, they, I'll, I'll be specific. So, um, the, the nuance is underneath the big bohemians. Like, so ass assessments, so standardized testing is a policy. That hasn't really gone away and it hasn't changed, but the kind of the, the name of the test or the kind of test or the way that we're going to measure it changes, right? So there's this always kind of right. teachers and leaders are on sand and it's shifting and you can never get your footing. And so right. I, I think, again, I'm, I'm, I'm being very general here, um, that when you are a teacher or a leader, you really are just like, let it go by. I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to do it. Right. I'm just, and they won't even catch me. They won't, right, even they won't catch me. Right. Right, right. Because they didn't have, most schools don't have leaders like you who were in the classroom all the time. I and mean, you had coaches in there all the time. So there's this, my, my practice is just being exposed all the time. Um, where I've worked in a school where I literally had my principal come in once, right? And it wasn't just like, it was like a show visit. He brought somebody, some stranger in with him. I think right. it was just to, to show that he did his, he does his job. It wasn't really about me. So I was like, what? So, I mean, I could, I mean, we could have just played Scrabble all day in my classroom if I wanted to. So it's like, how do you... I don't know what my question really was, but I'm just trying to figure out how to, A, how do we shift from, because again, I'm, I'm at some level, I am fine with um, a standardized test if that's what you, you need to do, but I'm, I, am, I am more concerned about the ever-shifting policies that don't um, really reward students nor teachers. Right. Right. It's it's like I think beholden to the public or something because we have all these wonderful dashboards that we get to see. And who who benefits from that dashboard? If I'm in a school and I see that my school is all in the red and it all looks gloom and doom. How does that help my school community? How does that help my own local community? How does how does that help us feel good about ourselves? So I'm like, what purposes do the current accountability system really serve? It's like you win winners and losers. Well, and the the huge you know, elephant in the room is money. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is dramatic. And uh, the, so trying to do more yeah. for teachers, coaching teachers, that costs money, okay? You, yes. got, you got to invest in people who are free from being in a classroom yes. to going into a bunch of classrooms, right? That costs money. If you add something to your, um, to your model, like ours, we had this whole piece around experiential learning, well, you got to add the cost of buses into that, right? Yeah. And now you got to add, you know, sort of the fees into the museums potentially into into the educational costs. Yeah. If you're going to award teachers a bonus Correct. for being growth-minded and achieving their yes. growth goals, that costs money. All these things cost money, yes. right? And so if we have that, if we have the resources that are equitable to districts that don't have some of the challenges of Chicago public schools, we can begin to be held accountable for the results. Gotcha. But when you're right. Yes, so it's yes, like, it's, yes, yes. how do you how, yeah. to this, to your point about this school all in the red, mm -hmm. 
you've got some really committed, amazing teachers in there that are not being coached, not because the principal doesn't care because they don't have the money. Correct. Um, they are not getting, you know, bonuses or growth bonuses. Nobody's even looking at the data. <laughs> uh, they're just being tested. And then they're told how they tested. And then who's looking at the test, right. except for maybe the principal who might lose their job based on it. Right. They're looking at that. They're trying to say, here's your classroom. This is what your classroom did. And then what do we do with it? Yeah. Like, is there anybody to help you break down what your kids did well on, yes. what they didn't do well on, and then how to change your instructional practice to be able to be better at that. The next time you get in front of kids and then the next, you know, those kids and go to the next teacher and yeah, they, they probably didn't get as strong a foundation as they should have, but at least you're going into a teacher's classroom who understands data now, mm -hmm. who actually understands how to improve their instruction and wants to, is being coached by somebody who supports them that doesn't, you know, punish them yeah. for being in this practice, right? And it's there's such there's such accountability, I feel like, for teachers that it almost becomes a deterrent for staying in it. Correct. Because you you, you yeah, it's it's just a lot. And you're talking about 27 kids yeah. who are teenagers in our situation. And you're trying to, you know, be effective for every last one of them, all class period. And it's really hard. And it becomes much easier if you've got some resources to break it up and to, you know, yeah. do differentiated instruction in ways that can continue the students learning, you know? Yeah, so anyway. no, no, Kim, that is dead on. I'm so glad you brought that up. So um, in another episode, I talk about this idea of cost modeling, right? So it's like, again, come, I mean, it's already happened and school districts are now getting a boatload of COVID dollars. And, but from the top down, they're being told to spend it on, Right. Here we go. I'm going to tell you how to buy it. Well, right. yeah, on stuff that doesn't get at what we're talking about. There's, there's right. nothing right. around teachers, preparation, coaching, support. There's nothing around. Um, you, it's like facilities, right? Like, uh, right. It's, right. A, it's like, hey, it's, it's about safety, stuff. which is great. I understand yeah, this. Yeah. But, and, yeah. you know, uh, air purifiers and hand sanitizers right. or whatever. Right. Or community schools. I'm using air quotes. I'm like, but what is that? Like, let's if we're going to use that as a model. Can we break that down and really talk about what it would take to be a community school? Which gets to your point around kind of the differences. If I'm teaching at a Perspectives on the south side or the west side of Chicago compared to um, a Winnetka, which is like for viewers out there, that's like Beverly Hills of, of Illinois, <laughs> yeah, right. right? So right. What, what do schools like Perspectives need in terms of resources versus a Beverly Hills, right? And so if we're going to do community schools, what is that going to look like in Chicago, in rural Alaska, you know, and in places, it's like, let's yeah. get, let's have some real conversations rather than this kind of consistent superficial, and it's all superficial conversations, right? It's like, if I can just throw out the latest buzzword, then I'm great. It's like, oh, now we want equitable schools. Well, what does that mean? Right. What does that look like? What does that mean? Yeah. What what right. is what is going to change as a teacher in her day-to-day -day life? Every classroom, every lesson plan. What does that mean? And so, right. uh, you know, I thought or think charters could be a an avenue, a true disruptor if they could have forced that conversation. And I don't Well, I, I, I was really hoping we were, okay. right? Yeah. But what happens and the conversation goes here. You, this is something that <laughs> makes me want to take a shot of whiskey. Um, what you're doing here, Kim, is not replicable. You need to do something that can be replicable. 
Oh. Um, so the results you're achieving here are not replicable. And I'm like, what do you mean? Because we started with two teachers. Right. We're now at 160 teachers across five campuses. When you say this is not replicable, what do you mean? And I think what people mean is it might cost too much. Yeah, money. it's too expensive. Well, okay. So we're talking about in our five school network at the time, an additional half a million dollars per school of about 350 kids mm -hmm. in this one, the flagship. Okay. Now we have schools, maybe closer to 600, still subsidizing about 500,000 per 350 kids. Yeah. If we're going to do the model. Yes as it was intended. And, and honestly, if you take us back to, you know, just Diana and I creating this model, as you knew us in the halls of Columbia College, yes. we had 300% test score gain and we never talked about tests ever. Yeah. So we never talked about it until we had to take it like the week before. Okay, guys, let's get some extra sleep, whatever. But <laughs> right. in the end, we weren't aligning everything we taught to whatever standard to whatever assessment the mm -hmm. problem is you try to scale you know you try to yeah. grow more people like you yeah and you, you know you've got to add the resources to keep things consistent that costs money the field studies cost money yes. you know the a discipline life that's an that our our social emotional learning class is a class and a schedule and therefore needs to have resources assigned to yeah. teach it right so that costs money yeah but in the end five hundred thousand dollars more we wouldn't even have to do fundraising if we were funded yeah. like Winnetka. Yes. If we had even, even not even Winnetka, just give us again that number yeah. more. And we still wouldn't even be close to the funding models of the suburban schools. Yeah. So it's that's the challenge for me. And it continues to burn me up because I feel like we're rolling a boulder up a hill um, because we are trying to talk innovation. We are trying to talk better preparation and pre-service and all this yeah. on resources that are so broken yeah. and the system, the way they divide the cash is very broken. However, you can still be within and, and figure, figure a way to be more innovative or be a better instructor, but it's just by design set up to fail. Mm -hmm. Right. It's just by design set up to fail with the it, with the with the drastic difference between a, a child in one neighborhood and a child in another. If you keep the divide like this, you're yeah. going to keep accountability, performance, college attention, retention, all these data points that they throw out that you're supposed to like miraculously just yes, you know, overcome. Compete. Yeah. You're like. Yeah. You just overcome it because your teachers are so gosh dang driven. Oh, and by the way, we don't pay them enough. And <laughs> right, right. we can't pay them enough because the funding is yes, broken. And yes. then it's, yeah. yeah. So it's just a, it's a, it's a nasty spiral. And it's, yeah, it's a nasty spiral. Yeah, but it doesn't have to. So this is my, and again, maybe no, I'm being We had a great school, but we, we, but we, but we subsidized it. And no, I, totally. So I don't want our listeners here to think that all these extra things from experiential learning to academic rigor and a disciplined life and parents being totally engaged and yeah. growing teachers that costs money. It did. All you guys did a lot money. of fundraising all year. Around. So, and I, and I, and I, for some gosh darn reason, and maybe it's because I'm a child of educators and a grandchild of educators. I, I have such hope. I mean, that's what gets me up at night. And my husband's oh, like, yeah. my husband's like, God, you work 14 hour days. I'm like, because I know we can do it. Like I know the oh. things you and I are talking about right now we can do. So it's about the will it. because a lot of the things you brought up, Kim, are outside the purview of schooling. 
They are, do we want a democratic society that allows communities to not have libraries, to not have park districts, to not have um, freaking grocery stores, right? So it's, it's those other things that contribute positively or negatively to outcomes of kids. And so the gaps will be persistent. So it's a both and, right? So schools, yes, oh, yes, schools have their stuff they need to get better at, but we can't overcome the um, vast differences if we don't address the societal issues. And I assumed, because I'm, again, have, I just think it's going to work out. Because <laughs> you've seen it. But yeah. I thought the pandemic was going to be like that aha, like, oh, there are some things as a democratic society we, we need to address. Schools, yes, have issues, but we need to also address housing, fair housing, uh, wages. Fair wages. You know, right. just so like all of that stuff has to be addressed as well. And again, I assumed that the, I don't hear enough educators talking about that, um, that we will never close gaps because of these other kind of societal things that, that, in, that in, impede or press into the outcomes of kids. I don't know. That was a speech. Sorry. I don't know. There really is no question. It's no. just like a statement. I know. I was, just, I was thinking too, and, and sort of it's set up in particular in urban schools that, and I, I remember this, you know, awesome person, and I'll, I'll share her name with you, but just so that you know who I'm talking about, Margaret Small. Oh, yes. Um, you know, as we just think about, what gets rewarded in public schools is is performing at the highest level with kids with the least amount of resources. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, that's so great. I, I don't know what that school did. They had a program, they had a curriculum, they had an amazing teacher, and all of a sudden they are blowing it out of the park mm-hmm. in this school. Mm-hmm. And now this school is rewarded, and that's great. But we have a system here. Right. We have a complete system. So, you know, you can go in and try to grow that one school, which is what happened to Perspectives. Right. You know, we got we got money yeah. to grow our network. But that does just that does not get it at doesn't the system. fix the system. Yeah, and that, right? It doesn't fix yeah. the system. It's fi- fixing a few schools over here and a few schools over there. It's just kind of again working around the edges. It's, so I yeah. think it's philosophically we have to get like to your point under the hood. Mm-hmm. Look at the engine itself and make sure that we are allowing for this car to even move period. <laughs> yes. Um and uh, yeah and, and that the the challenges of, you know, I don't know, a broken timing belt. Look at us, we sound like hard I know, talk. I know. Um <laughs> Car talk with Carla and Kim. <laughs> right. Exactly. We can't even fix the chain because, you know, it's only broken in this one car. Yeah. It's not broken in all the cars. And yeah. it's just, you know. Yeah. Anyway, it's a challenge. We cannot walk around with sticks. We can't walk around with carrots. We got to walk around with a philosophy on learning and and how uh, how it happens how it gets measured. And then what do we do with it? What do we do with those measurements? We can't just keep measuring and don't do anything with it. It's just a burn and churn. It's a burn and churn and no one's going into education anymore. 
and the, the problems aren't getting less, they're getting worse. I actually thought, you know, just like, uh, what's our guy in, uh, in New York? Um, I love his uh, Waiting for Superman. Oh, gosh. And he's like, you know, he thinks he's coming out of Harvard and he's like, hey, I'm going to fix this whole district here in, you know, <laughs> right. in a year, two years. You know, 40 years later, I'm still <laughs> right. here too. Exactly. We're all still We're here. All and if, still if anything, it's here. worse. It's yeah. actually worse than it used to be. It's it's in Chicago, it's worse than it was when I started 27 years ago. Is it worse? So is it worse? How did this really, or is it just that we're older and worse? Is it that we're older? No, no we, like just <laughs> fundamentally, whether, no, I'm talking to you, when I say worse, I'm talking about the amount of classrooms that do not have a teacher in them. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Period. Yeah. Where you've got schools opening with, with a, with a, with a uh, school schedule, and they don't have teachers to go in there. Correct. Well, you've got schools that have a half a year worth of a substitute teaching kids. Yeah. All oh, yes. Because A, no one's going into the practice. And if they are in there, are they getting any level of coaching? So I will say that it's worse now because it has become so unattractive as a profession teaching mm -hmm. that we, we I mean, who would go into this? Like, right. So you're like, okay, we got to really talk more about instructional practice, learning, yeah. you know, love of kids love of experiences and how this is a real life experience. It's just not a school experience. Learn, learning is not something that just happens in school. Correct. Yeah. It's, and, and being able to be leaders in, in this thought space versus how do we improve our test scores when we've got a first year teacher? Right. You know, like that's the conversation. Right. So not that I want to leave our listeners on a, a downer. Um, what, when you, think about the future and, and you're kind of in that future space, right? So at Genesis works, you're trying to make that connection from kids in high school to viewing themselves as professionals one day. So what, what's keeping you in the positive space of, yes, I see kids in particular coming out of Chicago. I see a future. What does that look like? What are you doing? How is it going to happen? So um, Genesis works is is super inspiring um, because it's takes students that that need an opportunity that's it they just need to be shown what is possible and then doing that we show them what is possible by putting them in a corporate environment for example and they end up working on a team for 10 months for part of their school day they become a part of a professional team and they start to see their future and get excited about college or get excited about jumping out to a career path. Mm -hmm. And they're equipped now with an opportunity that they've had, an experience that they've had. Yeah. Now they also have a network of people that they will rely on hopefully for the rest of their lives to be able to continue to propel themselves forward. But you first have to put them in this opportunity Yeah. and it has to, it has to be there. So this is what Genesis does in perspectives put lots of students through experiences and opportunities intentionally as a way to, you know, light the fire. Yeah, right. I remember. So, that. um, yeah. <laughs> and it, and it's, it is quantifiable. I promise you it is quantifiable to take a kid who's never maybe been to some of these field experiences, put them in it and then measure their test scores. I swear to God it has nothing to do with, whether they looked at a particular standard, right. their engagement for the dang test goes up. I mean, it's like the engagement period to be a learner yeah. goes up once you've seen 
education in action, not just education, schooling in a classroom. Correct. Um, so it is the experiential side of this is, is dramatic. And also the other exciting thing I see is when we reinvest in after school programs, that too, I know has, well, has a lot to do with student engagement. And so if you're, if you're a student that goes to art club after school, or you go to debate club, or you participate on the basketball team or the DJ club Mm -hmm. or the hair club, any of that stuff, quantifiable impact on standardized test scores. Why is that? Because engagement goes up. So if we can teach teachers to help engage the learner in the learning, I mean, the world's our oyster. We don't have to pick and pull over how I best uh, teach this one individual standard so much better. So everyone gets a hundred percent on that one standard. It's how do I raise engagement in the learning process? And you're not going to get that by making learners passive. Either where they're just having, you know, curriculum handed over to them and then they have to spit it back to you. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Now this is great, Kim. And it's, again, it's, it's, it's been my honor to see um, your journey starting from perspectives, you know, housed in two classrooms at Columbia College to where you are now. So thank you for uh, joining me today on Schooled. Thank you for having me. It's been a blast. As usual, it's been gr- terrific talking with you, Carla. And I'm so grateful that you are yeah, elevating your voice in what we hope to be better schools for yeah. the future. We, we, I think we all have our, our role to play, right? It, it can't rely on a select few. Hopefully I'm just a little spark in uh, shifting the conversation, right? The car is broken. There's fundamentally a flaw. <laughs> and so we need, to, we need to do something different. And that brings me to the end of today's episode of Schooled. Join me next week with a new guest and a new ed disruptor. Thank you for listening. Schooled with Carla Hulse is available wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Amazon Music. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.